Welcome to uh, the Ritchie household uh, this Christmas time. You know, in our house, Christmas is a, a big deal. We've got lots of uh, traditions that we do every single year. Um, you see the tree behind me. Yes, we're that family that puts the Christmas tree up in November. Uh, I had a Christmas jigsaw out on the table at the beginning of the month and uh, we always watch what I think is the greatest um, movie of all time uh, with Jim Stewart and It's a Wonderful Life. If you haven't seen that you need to go and get it and watch it. Uh, but the list goes on. Lots and lots of Christmas traditions that uh, we do. But I trust that uh, yesterday and this time, Christmas time in general, you took some time out just to remember and meditate on what is the biggest miracle of all time, knocks everything out, else out, the biggest miracle of all time is the incarnation. When God, in the form of Jesus, stepped out of the throne room of heaven and stepped into history and to be with his people and save his people from sin. There's nothing else that even gets anywhere near that. And Christmas is too big for one day. Uh, nobody can stop it. It's a lot bigger than just the one day. And, uh, you know, we're going to marvel for eternity at this incredible gift, this incredible miracle of God coming to be with these people uh, for the whole of eternity. And, you know, it's a day that changes lives forever and uh, I just want to talk with you today just a little while about one particular uh, person, one person that we come across in scripture and over the last few weeks we've been talking about different um, Christmas carols that we sing and we've talked about all different ones over the last few weeks and today I want to talk to you about another Christmas carol, it's a bit of a strange one, I'm sure you've heard of Good King Wenceslas's Last Looked Out on the feast of Stephen. And it's strange because uh, all the other carol, carol uh, that we sing tend to be focused on baby Jesus, the kings, uh, the, the shepherds, all the different people involved in it, uh, in the nativity uh, scene. But this carol doesn't sort of find itself in that place. Unlike it then, it focuses on a, a bohemian king and he is out on a journey, braving the winter cold to give money or alms, as they would call it back then. He would give alms to the poor on the Feast of Stephen. And uh, the Feast of Stephen is celebrated today, the 26th of December, the day after Christmas Day. And his uh, page or butler or servant, whatever you want to call him, uh, was ready to give up because of the cold weather and the snow and everything. And he was ready to give up on the mission to give money and alms to the poor. And uh, he was struggling, but he continues to follow because of the encouragement of the king and also of the footprints of the king in the snow. And he steps in the footprints of the king to be able to achieve what, what uh, he wants to do and to give, even through the deep snow, they managed to uh, do what they set out to do. And the, one of the last, or the last verse of uh, the carol, it says, Therefore, Christian men and women, I'm sure, Christian men, be sure, wealth or rank possessing, 
you who now will bless the poor shall yourselves find a blessing. And that's a biblical principle, isn't it? As we bless other people, we receive blessing into our lives. And, uh, you know, in the UK on the 26th, we call it Boxing Day. And to be honest with you, nobody is sure why. Um, I think in our house it was Boxing Day because we used to fight as kids over toys that we wouldn't share and everything like that. But I don't know. Nobody really knows why it's called that. But I want to uh, look traditionally at uh, what the church celebrates on this day. And it doesn't matter if it's the Western church that we would be class ourselves in, Protestant or Catholic, or the Eastern Orthodox church. We all celebrate this man called Stephen that we discover in the Bible. And this day, the 26th, is classed as his feast day. And, uh, you know, little is known about Stephen. Uh, we're introduced to, to him in the book of Acts. Um, Dr. Luke uh, is charged to go and find out all about and do a thesis for somebody on, on Jesus and also his followers. And uh, Luke uh, gives a des description in Acts about uh, this man called Stephen. And he introduces Stephen to us in the early days of the church when a crisis had come to pass. Um, we read really early on in the history of the church that there was a generosity explosion, just like you'd never seen before. And it was so, people were so generous in the church, selling land and things that they sold and given to the disciples and given to each other, that they effectively wiped out poverty in the church. Was, wouldn't that be a great thing to do? Uh, not because somebody else tells you to do it, but because your love of Christ and love of our brothers and sisters and the family of God doesn't want to see somebody else in need while we've got something that can meet, meet that need. And so the generosity of that very early church was one of the markers of the Christianity. But, you know, things start to go wrong. Um, and we come across this place where something has gone wrong with this whole generosity thing that was happening in the church. And, you know, you know, me and you, we're, we're, we're all in the church and we're all flawed. And so it doesn't matter if it was the early church, uh, which we sometimes idolize or look at and uh, for examples or in the church today. We get things wrong, don't we? And we mess things up. And this is what happened there. And uh, we're all flawed people. And we all need forgiveness. And uh, when I looked to see what had happened there, what had happened was that money was given to the church and part of that money was kept back and used to give to the widows. Um, and uh, the, that was distributed food to the widows in the church family community that they had. And unfortunately, it would seem that some people that were in control of this uh, money for the distribution of food didn't seem to like diversity in the church. You know what I mean? The, the, the church is supposed to be from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. But right at the very, or towards the very start of it, some people didn't seem to like the diversity because you had two different sets of Jewish people. There was the Hebrew Jews and the Hellenistic Jews the Greek-speaking Jews, and a problem came up and, and w what was happening was when the food was distributed, it seemed to be that the, the food didn't reach the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenist Jews, and uh, their widows was going without where the Hebrew Jews were receiving the food. And so this 
caused argument and grumble. It says grumbling and murmuring in the church. And finally, it reached the ears of the apostles and the apostles stepped in and they called the whole church together to talk to them. And they came forward with a plan that they were going to appoint seven men um, who would administer this whole process for them. And uh, while they were doing that, that would mean that they wouldn't be distracted from the mission to preach and teach the gospel and reach out to people around about and pray. They're, they wouldn't be distracted from their service. Uh, but these men would uh, administer this whole thing. And uh, the thing that I, I notice about these, these men is, is that when I look at the names that they've got, you find that their background of the seven men, four of the men have names that would lead you to believe that they were from the Hellenistic section. And three of them were from the Hebrew section. So right at the very start, the apostles uh, chose these seven men and skewed the majority so that the more Hellenistic Christians or Jewish Christians would be in that group and making sure the money went to the right people. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? That's a great, great thing to do for him. And, uh, and, and so when, when we see this and see what would happen, they, let me read to you when they suggested this to the whole church. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. I think that's probably the, the, the first and last time that the whole church agreed on everything. I'm sure if we had a meeting, we wouldn't be able to agree on everything. Um, nowadays, we argue over everything, whether you have a vaccination or not, you name it, there's all sorts of disagreements going on. So they pleased the whole gathering and they still chose Stephen. Now listen to this, this is important. He was a man full of faith, and full of the Holy Spirit. The other guys were Philip, Prochus, Nisor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. I probably didn't say any of them names right apart from Stephen, I suspect. But he was a man full of faith and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I believe that that is something that we should be looking for when we put people into service in the church that were full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. It also says a little bit later on in verse 8 of Acts 6, it says, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He was full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit, full of power. And because Stephen was doing this, he, he was witnessed to and being involved in wonders and signs among the people around about. But in all things, so many people don't like a good thing because you're not in that camp. And there was a group of a sect in the Pharisees that really didn't like the message that Stephen was teaching, which is the message of Jesus Christ. And uh, they didn't like it. And they w decided that they were going to come against him. So it says a little bit later on, it says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So they brought accusations against him, but he came back to them and the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gave him meant that they couldn't come against him. They couldn't defeat his, his, his argument or what he said because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit in what he, what he said. So they arrested him, uh, they concocted false evidence against him and they sentenced him to stoning. And then uh, Luke, 
Dr. Luke, who's recording all this for us, he, in Acts 7, gives us the longest sermon in the, in the New Testament, outside of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is the long, longer than Paul, longer than anybody else. He gives the longest sermon that Peter gave in this situation. And uh, at the end of that, uh, here's what it says in Acts 7, 54, 55. Now, when they heard these things, the things that Stephen was telling them, you can go home and read them tonight. When they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. I mean, this is a, a, a very descriptive term. You know, I mean, we think sometimes that if we preach the gospel, well, everybody loves Jesus, so everybody's going to love it. But this is a message that made people so angry that they ground their teeth. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? Verse 55, but he, that's Stephen. What's Stephen's reaction to these, this anger that's pointed towards him? But he, again, this is the words, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then they stoned Stephen. And uh, that's about all we know about Stephen. We get a brief glimpse of his life, his service to the church, and as the first martyr of the Christian church. That's about all we really hear about or see him. And you know, over this last few days while I've been preparing for this message and meditating on the life of Stephen, it seems to me that there is one thing that Dr. Luke wants us to know more than anything about Stephen. More than anything else, he wants us to know something. And I believe that is that Stephen, he wants us to know that Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And you know, our challenges today are different, I know. And uh, we live in a completely different society. But I believe more than ever that we need to be men and women of God in his church, in his campaign, in his cause, full of the Holy Spirit. Because that is the thing that will make the dynamic difference in our lives and the people around about us. Even back 150 years ago, I was reading this week for, about a preacher called C.H. Spurgeon. I'm so sure you've heard of him before. And he made this statement in one of his sermons probably about 150 years ago. It says, in these evil days, we have need to use every soldier in the army to the utmost of his capacity. When the world is so dark, we had need that every lamp should give some light, that each lamp should burn as much oil as it will carry, that its light may be the brightest possible kind and make the enemies of God's church know that the Holy Ghost still dwells in her midst in the men and women that he has chosen. I'm speaking to you from home today, but if we were meeting in Milton Keynes Christian Centre, just down the road in Albrook, it's not that the Holy Spirit inhabits a building anymore. The Holy Spirit inhabits people, me and you, his people. And we, in this day and age, need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, 
filled every single day going back and saying, Lord, for everything that's ahead of me today, fill me with your spirit through the next year into 22. Fill me with your spirit so we are shining bright for the King, King Jesus. Here's probably five things very, very briefly of how, how I see the Holy Spirit at work in uh, Stephen's life. First, we need the Holy, to be filled with the Holy Spirit to empower us for every act of service that we give to his church. Possibly you might look at Stephen and go, well, he was just a waiter. He just served on tables. He was just an administrator. But he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do that service in the kingdom of God, in his church. So it doesn't matter what your calling is, what your service is to the church. Your service may be to preach the gospel. Your service may be to teach kids. Your service may be to go in the car park. Your service may be to welcome people to church. It doesn't matter. Whatever your service is in the church, the thing that will make the difference in it is that if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't want to serve out of what we've got ourselves, our own resources, but we serve out of being filled with the Holy Spirit and we are aware through his infilling of what's going on around about us. Now a spiritual antenna is up to be filled with the Holy Spirit in every aspect of every service that we give to his church. Secondly, I think it's very clear that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to see and be involved in miracles. Luke calls them wonders and signs. Very often we say signs and wonders, but Luke said wonders and signs. Why? To advance the gospel of Christ. Not so we can stand around and look and think, oh, we were used in a great miracle. But the reason for wonders and signs in the early church was to give the message to the people that didn't already know Jesus, that the Holy Spirit was in the church at that time. So we need the Holy Spirit, as Stephen did, to see wonders and signs. So he needed the Holy Spirit in his service for the church. He needed the Holy Spirit in his proclamation of the gospel and the demonstration of God's power in his kingdom through wonders and signs. Thirdly, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom and the words to preach boldly. We're going to go into this world and there's all sorts of thoughts, all sorts of ideas, all sorts of theories. And we, when Stephen was confronted with accusations and, and discussions, he, was, he spoke with wisdom that was imparted by the Holy Spirit and the people around, because they were not Stephen's words, they were the words that the Holy Spirit spoke through Stephen, they weren't even able to counter anything that he said to them, and they just got annoyed and, and threw their hands up. So we need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in our everyday life as we speak to our friends and our families and our colleagues about this wonderful gift of grace that Jesus has got for us. Fourthly, I believe we need the Holy Spirit for us to display the royalty of our position in Christ and the steady peace that we are given even in the most dire of circumstances. Acts 6, 15, Luke says this, and gaze, this is talking about Stephen, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like of an angel. Isn't that crazy? You've got all these people around going mad and angry at him. In the middle of it, he knows he's going to be stoned, and his face 
is like an angel. It talks to me uh, about brightness, about uh, peace. And even in the worst of situations, by us being filled with the Holy Spirit, we can know the guarantee that Christ and the God is on our side and he will take care of us and he's hedging us around and he's protecting us. I believe that we need to be more filled with the Holy Spirit than we are filled with the news off the TV, particularly at this time. They seem to want to sensationalize everything. But we need the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit within us so that even in the most dire of circumstances, we can be confident and at peace in our God because we are his children. And fifth, probably lastly, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to demonstrate the forgiveness and grace to a world that seems to be screaming condemnation to each other. It's crazy, the violence and the argument. I believe, I was watching a program the other day uh, on the TV by uh, David Badil, I think his name is, talking about the influence that social media is having on us and how it, it's feeding our whole anger and how we want, want to be, we're shouting at everybody all the time and how that's coming into our everyday life, coming off social media and how we act day to day. But it says, this is what we read about, the closing words of Stephen. Acts 7, 59, 60. This is amazing. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. You see the parallels there with Jesus of how he was on the cross praying for the people who had persecuted him and were crucifying him, asking, pleading on their behalf to be forgiven. And we see this reflected in Stephen. Maybe he'd heard some of the words. Maybe, maybe he'd heard some of the stories about Jesus. I don't. Maybe he was even there. I don't know. But he took the same thing, that he believed in the forgiveness of the people that were really even doing difficult things to him and I believe the spirit of the Holy Spirit is seen most clearly in the ultimate act of grace in that prayer begging for forgiveness for his murderers I just think that is crazy I don't know who can do that on the natural realm but through the Holy Spirit empowering him we live in an age that seems to want to cancel everybody else, cancel culture. We just want to cancel everybody out. If somebody disagrees with them, we want to shut them down. We want to punish them. We want to close them down. That's the culture of the world. We're here not to cancel culture, but we're here to create the culture of heaven. And the culture of heaven is seen most clearly, and the culture of the Holy Spirit is seen most clearly in this selfish, act of grace that prays for the people who are stoning them and I believe if we can understand and see that power of the Holy Spirit within the church over this next season that we have then I believe that we are going to be speaking into a culture that needs to hear forgiveness more than it needs to hear condemnation so as we step forward from Christmas, knowing that Christmas is much bigger than any one day and how it influences our life every day, the Bible says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I would beg you over the next weeks and months and days to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit 
so you can make a difference in this kingdom. Merry Christmas. Have a great day. Thank you.